We've been uh, working our way through the book of Genesis uh, during our time in the uh, our sermon times together. Uh, and uh, we've been right now we're finding ourselves in the the very beginnings of uh, uh, Joseph's story. Um, Joseph is uh, one of the great great grandchildren of Abraham who we've seen in Genesis is going to be through his line that God begins to fulfill his promises to bring the promised one the one who's going to come and enter into our world and uh, take uh, take care of the uh, the effects of sin to work back the issues and the problems and bring about the rescue and restoration that we're longing for uh, right now it seems like the 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 promise is is uh, in doubt. We wonder, is it going to happen? We see that Joseph has found himself uh, uh, imprisoned in, uh, in Egypt. Uh, he was enslaved to an Egyptian master. There he suffered unjustly and was kicked into prison. And that's where we're going to pick up on his story this morning. We saw in, this, in the last chapter that what Moses was wanting to remind his people and reminding the people of Israel who themselves found, uh, found themselves enslaved to an Egyptian master, suffering unjustly. Uh, the questions of where is God in the midst of this? And we saw that what Moses is wanting to re- teach God's people and remind us in the midst of the, the Joseph story and in fact all of Genesis is that God is with his people. And we saw last week, if, uh, instead of uh, our circumstances dictating how we feel and how we respond in the world, um, that we're, we're pointed and, and reminded to look to God's covenant promises uh, and realize that it's in the, the midst of those crazy circumstances that God's still calling us to fulfill the calling of being blessings to the world. This week, what we want to look at is seeing, all right, um, uh, in, in light of that truth that God is with us, uh, regardless of the circumstances, um, how does God's presence work in us to enable, empower, transform us to actually be able to fulfill this calling where God's called us? We recognize that it hasn't changed regardless of the circumstances, but how does God's presence with us affect our individual and corporate participation in God's great mission of rescue and restoration. Uh, So that is what we want to look at this morning. We'll be in chapter 40 of the book of Genesis. You'll find that on page 33 if you want to follow along in one of the Bibles that you find there in uh, uh, in the seats there in front of you. And we're going to look at the whole chapter uh, this morning. Um. So we will pick up in verse 1 there of, of chapter 40 as we look to see how do we uh, participate in and fulfill these, this covenant mission that God has called us to. So there, beginning in verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them. 
and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, uh, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers uh, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is, the interp- this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so to get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the When the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your, for your word. We thank you that you speak to and change and shape your people through the reading and preaching of your word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do that this morning. Show us Jesus. Show us our need for him, that we might cling to him and worship him uh, more fully. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, This past week, I watched uh, a documentary called uh, Accidental Courtesy. It's about uh, a guy named Daryl Davis, who's an African-American blues uh, guitarist and pianist. Uh, He's played with guys like uh, uh, B.B. King, Muddy Waters. He's played with Jerry Lee Lewis and even Willie Nelson. Um, And uh, he's uh, very accomplished as as a musician. And... Uh, but he's kind of taken on this this interesting pastime, you could say. Daryl Davis uh, started about 25 years ago becoming friends with members of the Ku Klux Klan. 
He uh, seeks out uh, meeting and finding guys who are in high leadership positions within this uh, white supremacist organization. And he seeks to form a relationship with them, to listen to them, to dialogue with them, uh, to find out what it is they're, they're thinking, why they believe what they believe. But he's also showing them that uh, their, their presuppositions about African Americans and those who aren't white are, are misinformed. And, and it's actually his, his understanding and belief that it's through the relationship that will be formed as he interacts and, and he's with these guys and he's present with them that they'll begin to see that through their the bonds they begin to form, their worldview doesn't hold up. And in fact, uh, African Americans aren't less of worthy. They're not deserving of the, the, the violence and the, and the, the message of hate that sometimes uh, uh, is communicated towards them. And, and it's interesting, as you're able to watch some of the dialogues he has with these guys over time. And at the beginning, they're very hardened towards... Uh, towards Daryl Davis, the conversations are are uh, are are cut up, and um, they they don't want to listen to what he says, and they're they're spouting off a lot of times uh, words of hatred. But he sits there and he and he listens. And over time, what you begin to see is uh, they show one rally where the leader of this large clan group actually says in front of in his robes and everything, and points out Daryl Davis is actually at the rally. He says, "This is my friend." Daryl Davis is invited to weddings. He, he's acknowledged openly as, as being friends of people who are members and leaders in the KKK. And, and Daryl Davis shows you something else. In his, in his house, he has 24, 25 robes. Robes from Grand Dragons and robes from Imperial Wizards, robes from uh, county leaders and city leaders and national leaders who through the relationship that he has with them, they've left the KKK. They've renounced their beliefs and given their robes to him. You see, it's, it's this, the power that relationships and being present with someone has this transforming effect in the lives of other people. It, it's evident we see it, the interactions happening with Daryl Davis and these members of the KKK. Uh, but if that's so with him, how much more so the transforming power of being with God, of God being with us, of the relationship of the Creator of all things being present with us, pursuing us, loving us. Uh, you see, if we were beginning to, to look and ask this question of how do we, in the midst of unstable circumstances, live out this calling God has called us to, um, part of it involves the need for a transformation. This transformation happening because of God's presence with us. God being with us. Uh, let's look at, at, at that even beginning to happen here in this, in this passage. I don't know if you remember back uh, to 
Joseph's the beginning of this story back in chapter 37 and Joseph's interactions with his brothers. Remember, the reason that Joseph has found himself in Egypt is because his brothers sold him into slavery to some Ishmaelites, some Midianite traders, and they then sold him to Potiphar in, uh, in Egypt. I don't know if you remember back to Joseph's interactions with his brothers. I remember Joseph was uh, the favored son of Jacob, of his uh, of all of the, the siblings, Joseph received the favor and everybody picked up on it. Joseph picked up on it. And we saw that Joseph used that as an opportunity in his interactions with his brothers to really uh, uh, put his status over them. Um, he would a lot of times bring unfavorable reports to his, to his father, whether true or not. He's seeking to continue to gain status before his before his dad, over against his brothers. Then we saw that that God had given Joseph uh, a gift. Joseph was receiving dreams as, as God was, at this period of time, one of the ways that God was revealing himself to his people. And Joseph had this dream that Joseph was going to be in charge and, and his brothers, through the, the dream, as you figured out, his brothers are going to be bowing down to him. His brothers and his parents are going to be bowing down to him. And the way that Joseph used this gift and the truth that he was receiving from God, his attitude towards his brothers was to, to use his gifts and to speak truth in such a way that he would dominate over them. He would rub it in. He would place himself in a, in a position to where he would use his gifts as a, as a way for him to, to elevate himself over his brothers. He didn't relate or speak to them in love. But he looked down upon them and wanted to make sure they knew that on the basis of his gifts and the truth that was coming out of these dreams, who he was and who they were. And it caused conflict and strife. Um, so that's, that's the Joseph that we first met before he gets sold into slavery in Egypt. And when Joseph gets into Egypt, remember the recurring thing that we saw last week is this idea of God is with Joseph. God is with Joseph. Remember, we saw what that means is God is with his people to bring about the kingdom in them so that he might use them to bring out the kingdom through them in the in the world. Um, and. Psalm 105 helped us look back and understand that. Remember what the, the psalm said, that God was present with Joseph. He was brought him into prison to test him, to, to purify him, to refine him so that he might be changed and used as God brings about his, his promises. Uh, now, what do we see here? The evidence of God being with Joseph in the midst of the prison, in the midst of the unjust accusations, in the midst of the, uh, the, uh, the false imprisonment. Look at now the transformation that we begin to see in Joseph's life due to the relationship he has with God, through God's presence with Joseph. Uh, did you uh, pick, pick up on it? Look, look at the difference in how Joseph here exercises his gifts compared to how he was before. Remember, these, um, uh, 
the cupbearer and the baker find themselves in prison and they're, they're having these, uh, these, these dreams. And uh, Joseph, as he, as he comes to them, uh, this, is, this is how he, he speaks, as he notices their, their trouble and their struggle. Uh, he, he says this to them. Uh, why are your faces downcast today in verse 7? And then in 8, and he, he goes on. They're, they say, well, we've had some dreams and there's no one to interpret them. Because from their understanding, the way that they worked in Egypt, they're in prison. They're isolated. The people who have the power to interpret and bring insight are outside of the prison. And so they're, they're in despair. And Joseph says to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. Uh, immediately, Joseph is not putting himself as he looks and reflects on, his, on the gifts that God has given him as a, as a posture of, I'm better than you. But immediately, Joseph now is beginning to speak with a humility, acknowledging that, yes, God is, God is present with me. He's giving me this, this gift to help you understand and interpret your dream. But I need you to realize that doesn't mean there's something great about me. It's not look at Joseph who can give you insight and help into your life and look at how great I am. No, Joseph here, immediately, when this question of dreams comes up again, Joseph is quick to point them directly to God, the source and power of what's going on in his life. Joseph is, is being transformed. God is with him. This relationship that that, Mo, that Joseph has with God, God's purposes are being worked out as Joseph is being transformed. He's humbly exercising his gifts with these guys. Uh, but remember the way, the way that Joseph spoke to his brothers. We saw he spoke truth, but it wasn't done in love. But you, notice, you notice here, Joseph speaks truth to these guys. We, we see at the end of the chapter that actually the, the interpretation that Joseph gives comes, comes true. Look in verse 21 and following. He restored the cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Joseph speaking truth. But to one guy, it's good news. It's very good news. This dream you've had uh, cupbearer. Now, cupbearer, just to help you figure out what that is, um, uh, this would have been a close confidant of the, the Pharaoh. This guy needed to be trusted. Um, he had Pharaoh's ear a lot of times because if you're going to poison and attack the Pharaoh, assassinate him, one way you might want to do that is by poisoning his wine. So you have the cupbearer who uh, makes sure that it, it doesn't uh, get poisoned, and many times what this cupbearer would do is he may taste it first to demonstrate and show to Pharaoh and others that it wasn't poisoned, and then pass it on to the Pharaoh. So this, and then the other guy is a baker. We know, we know what a baker is. Um, uh, but here to the cupbearer, he's sharing good news that you will be restored. But to the baker, it's very bad news. You're gonna, you're gonna die. You're not going to be restored. This sin, this offense that you had against your Lord Pharaoh is not going to work out for your deliverance. But here, notice how Joseph interacts with them and the way that he engages them. 
It, it shows up that Joseph's love for these guys all the way through, that what he's speaking is not done in arrogance, it's not done in pride, it's not done in cruelty. Back in verse 5. And one night they both dreamed, and it goes on, and it says in verse 6, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. Joseph's been around these guys. He's recognizing there's a change in their, in their heart, their faces, their demeanor. Remember, that was something that we saw before. Joseph seemed to be oblivious and not really care the response or the, uh, the emotional response that he gets from his brothers. He just kept piling it on. But here he goes down and he says, why are your faces downcast today? Joseph's focus here, his heart, he's engaged in lovingly approaching these guys, concern for them and caring for them, and out of a response of God's presence with him, is seeking to, to love and speak to them the truth in love. Uh, you see, all this is coming about, not because Joseph is so great, but as Joseph continues to affirm here, are not interpretations from God? This is coming from God. He is with me. What informs what is going on in Joseph's mind and his world is God's presence and the transforming power of it. We see it here. What, is, what does that mean for, for us, for you and for me? The, God is still present with us. We, we've seen this as we've looked over the past couple weeks. Jesus, God in the flesh, has entered into our world. He's come to redeem and save us. Um, that's the message of the gospel that we hear a lot. But one of the, the benefits of Jesus' work is that God is dwelling in His people through God the Holy Spirit. We saw, remember in Genesis 1, the fellowship and relationship that Adam and Eve had with God. Sin disrupted and distorted that. The work of what Jesus is doing is 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 restoring that relationship, that fellowship God has with His people. And so the promise that Jesus tells us is that when we rest and rely and trust in Him, that God the Holy Spirit dwells within His people. Part of the work of the Holy Spirit is this transformation. As we are made new. We sung about it earlier where uh, we go from death to life. From darkness to light through the work of the Spirit in us. Transformation is, is happening. Um, and in fact, uh, a big part of what the, uh, the New Testament seeks to address is this reality of the transformation that's happened in God's people and the need for us to, uh, to, to, live, it, to live out this transformed life. Um, in the book of Ephesians, as... Uh, Paul, one of uh, God's spokespeople, is uh, writing to a church in, uh, in Ephesus. He, he says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, 
to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul's referencing Gentiles here in in Ephesians, and actually he's writing to a predominantly Gentile church. He's saying, look, this is the way the Gentiles act. Living lives contrary to what God has called them to. You've been made new. Earlier in the, 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 the letter, Paul says, you've been brought close to God. You've, you were dead. You were now alive. You've been transformed. You were once were the old man. Now you have been made new. And what Paul is telling them is, look, through the power of Christ working in and through you, you've been transformed. Therefore, because God is present with you, you need to live it out. Be who you are. You are not the old man anymore. And sometimes you're going to be tricked and deceived into trying to live out a life that looks like the old person. The, the, the person who lived contrary to God's, God's intentions and his calling. But Paul is saying, remember, because God is with you, you've been transformed and you've been made new. Now is the time. To live out the transformed life that Jesus has has secured for you and that the Holy Spirit is in fact at work in you. Have you been fully transformed now? No. You are transformed. You're being transformed. And one day when Jesus comes back, you'll fully be transformed. But the calling to, to, to live out that life is based on the transforming work of the Spirit. We see it evidence here narratively in the life of Joseph, we see the rest of Scripture is calling and pointing us to that. As, as you think about your life, there's things that, that, that we struggle with. Things that we, maybe you, you think back to your life before Jesus, and you remember things that you used to do, ways you used to act, desires you used to have. And there's Maybe been a time in your life where you're like, I'm, I thought I saw those things going away and all of a sudden they're showing themselves up again. Or maybe you've, those things are going on and you've never really begun to see a, a change happening. What, what the book of Genesis and what Paul is wanting to remind us of is the transforming power of the Spirit. That He works in us. That we have in fact been made new. And as we rest and rely on Him and His work in us, we're able to fight back, resist, follow His leading, and live out our transformed, renewed lives in the world for His glory. Well, how do we do do that? I don't know if you've seen the Snickers ads that were out a while back. Some of them still pop up on on TV, one of them was uh, some guys out playing a game of pickup football in a park, and they break the uh, the huddle, hike the ball, and all of a sudden, in the midst of these all these twenty and thirty year old guys running out for routes, you see Betty White just kind of running through the middle of the field, and you're like, "What is this eighty year old lady doing out here playing football?" And some, they throw the ball to her and she misses it and this guy lays her out and Betty White's laying out in the middle of the mud. And somebody comes up and they're like, 
man, what's going on? You're not playing like yourself. It's like you're Betty White out there. You need a Snickers. And they give her a Snickers, and she eats it, and she turns. And she changes into this 30-year-old guy who can now catch the football and play. The idea is that they're, they're communicating and saying is, you're not yourself when you're hungry. You, you need the, 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 the nourishment and the power that comes from the Snickers bar to keep you from living out and acting like who you aren't. You really, you really aren't. Eat the Snickers and be who you are. What? What we're going to see here in this passage is that that's, that's actually the, the answer. It's, it's not just that God's presence with us transforms us. And now, hey, you've been transformed, so it's up to you. You're saved by grace through faith. And so now that God's done this work in your life, it's up to you to grit your teeth together and work out and live out the Christian life in your own strength, in your own power. No. No. When you find yourself not being who you are, it comes back to this question of where are we getting our power and our strength from? It must also come from the presence of God being with us. Notice how this plays out in this passage. Um, Notice as we... We get here in verse, uh, the beginning of of chapter 40. Pharaoh got angry with the two officers and they get sent to the prison where where Joseph is confined. And in verse 4 it says this, The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued some time in his custody. Uh, So so here, here it is. Joseph, the the task that he's been given is to be with, we'll pick up on, we'll come back to that later, because remember, God has said, I'm with Joseph. Now, Joseph is called to be with people. Um, Joseph is is assigned, and he said that he's supposed to attend and serve these officers that come in. Now, we'll talk a little bit about the the social structure of Egypt. Because the cupbearer and the baker were high-ranking officials, even though they've offended Pharaoh when they come into the prison, that status doesn't leave them. Remember, where, we, where did we leave Joseph last? You look at the, the last part of chapter 39. It says, the keeper of the prison, in verse 22 of chapter 39, the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Uh, Joseph became the leader of the prison. He rose to to a position of authority and great status in there. You notice what happens here at the beginning of chapter 40. The captain of the guard, who is the boss of the keeper of the prison, that was actually Potiphar's job, the one who threw Joseph in prison to begin with. We're not sure if it's Potiphar that's being discussed here in the beginning of 40 or some other guy, but the captain of the guard steps in at this point, and look at what it says. Uh, Pharaoh gives the cupbearer and the chief baker to the captain of the guard where Joseph is confined. And then the captain of the guard says, oh, you know what? Joseph, you're going to serve him.
That same word, uh, uh, Joseph was attending them. It's the same language that's used in chapter uh, 39 to describe what Joseph was doing to Potiphar, his master. He was serving him in his house. Joseph's been demoted. Someone else comes to power. And now, remember, it says at the beginning of verse 1 in chapter 40, this happened after some time things have changed. And Joseph, in the midst of these circumstances changing, Joseph is called to be with and serve these guys. Everything's turned around. How, how, do, you, how do you do this? I've been unjustly put here. Things have changed again. Maybe Potiphar is still trying to stick it to me even now. Now I'm in a position where I'm called to have to, to be with these guys and now I have to serve them. What am I getting out of this? What's going on? What's happening? Remember, we're seeing this as a place where God is, is shaping and molding and transforming Joseph. And is it interesting that the task that Joseph's given in verse 4, that the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them. The same language that's used when God says that he was with Joseph. Joseph now is being called to be with other people, to be present with them, to serve them in seeking out their best interest, their growth, their development. How, how does Joseph do it? How do you do something like this when you're treated unfairly, when stuff's falling apart? We've already seen where Joseph goes. Joseph's focus here. As he, as he looks to and reminds these, this chief baker when they have these dreams, he says in verse 8, Do not interpretations belong to God. What's still on Joseph's mind is the promise that God is with his people. And so now Joseph is here. He's, his, because of what's empowering and changing him, that God is present with him, Joseph now doesn't, in the midst of this unfair stuff that's going on, he, de he definitely is suffering. Remember, he talks to the chief cupbearer and says, hey, let Pharaoh know. It's not like he delights in being in prison. Who would? But Joseph here is freed up to not be so focused on himself and his own circumstances. It's as if because of God's presence with him, Joseph is freed up and strengthened and empowered to not be so concerned with himself and to look out and be concerned with others. That's what we saw in the midst of this unjust situation that Joseph is facing. What does he do? He's engaged, focused on the hurt, the struggles, the pain of these, the cupbearer and the baker. The presence of God empowers and, and it transforms, but it also empowers Joseph to create uh, a work in him so that he's able, just as God was with him, now Joseph is able to be with others, engaged, invested in their life, seeking opportunities to love them and pursue them. Joseph is confident of God's presence. What, what about you and me? Does, does the knowledge of God's presence free us up? Um, are, are we dwelling and relying on His power and His strength that, that is in us uh, to be concerned and engaged and invested in the lives of others. See, if that's, 
that's not happening, if we're trying to do it out of our own strength, where's it going to lead? One, it's either going to lead to failure or burnout or frustration. What we're seeing here is Joseph is, is looking to and relying on God's power. Paul, again, in Ephesians, points us and reminds us that this is a great theme of, of Scripture, of this need. Not only is the, the work of God and His presence with us transform us, but He empowers us. Uh, in chapter 3 of Ephesians, the, the, verse 14 and following, Paul writes this prayer. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do more abundantly than you think or ask, according to the power that's at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Paul's reminding us that the great truth and the, the good news of the gospel that God is with us, that He's empowering and strengthening us. We must, as God's people, rely on that power and strength that is the Holy Spirit within us. The message of the gospel is not, your, is, is not just you're saved by grace through faith, but you're also made more like Jesus, or the theological term, sanctified by grace through faith. It's continued to be done in reliance and relying on the power of God that is in us. Scripture uses terms like this to, to be filled with the Spirit or to walk in the Spirit. What that is, is, is calling and asking God to strengthen and empower and enable us to walk in obedience to Him, trusting in Him to transform and change us. If, if we're not doing this, then we're actually going to uh, communicate a false message that what the Christian life is all about and what right relationship with God is all about is you just kind of grunting it out, doing things in your own power and your own strength. It's not a life that demonstrates dependency, reliance, and trust in Jesus. You see, for Joseph to do what he's called to do, to be like God in the prison, to be with people and seeking their best interest, can only happen is he draws on the power that God is with him. It's the same thing for us. It's the same calling for us as God's people. The good news is that God dwells in us through the work of Jesus. And we're called to live out that mission to further God's, God's purposes in the world by, by proclaiming His goodness and glory to others. We don't do that in reliance of our, of our own strength, but trusting and relying on Him the transforming and empowering presence of God in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we love You. We struggle to, to, to rest in You, to rely on You. We're tempted so often to, to, to rely on our, on our own strength, to live out things in this world. We need You to transform us to continue your transforming work. Help us to see our great need 
And may we call out in reliance and dependency and trust on your empowering presence uh, for us. In Christ's name, amen. Jesus, remember the, the promised one who 